Hi, and welcome to this week's edition of the Ocean View Podcast. No matter where you're at in our country or around the world, we thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Now sit back and enjoy this week's message. My name is Terry. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. It's a joy to welcome you to Ocean View. And uh, we're wrapping up a message series entitled, That's All They Ever Talk About. And uh, yes, you guessed it, for the last month, we have talked about finances. And uh, and here's what I would say. I've said this every week. Um, the truth is, is this is the first time in the six years that I've been here at Ocean View that I have ever done a message series on finances. I've done a, a few messages here or there on it, but have never done a message series. And so Um, For that, I apologize, because the truth is Jesus talked about this topic more than heaven and hell combined. And as pastors, we should be willing to engage and talk about this topic, even though it's, it's not one that a lot of individuals like to hear because it steps on a lot of individuals' toes. And uh, what I'm really excited is, is after three weeks of me talking, um, you know, and, and looking at some of the, you know, the faces out in the audience and realizing, oh gosh, you're tired of hearing me talk about it. Um, I'm really excited because I, I have a dear friend that uh, has been willing to come. And I want to tell you a little bit about before, before I introduce you to him. Uh, my friend's name is Rob West. And if you watch on Facebook, we introduced him. Rob is a nationally syndicated radio show host of a program called Money Wise. It's also on podcasts. I would encourage you to pick it up. Um, and Rob uh, is also president of an organization called Kingdom Advisors, which um, basically are financial advisors around the country that really help individuals to make wise choices when it comes to their finance from a stewardship standpoint. But personally, I would tell you this, the reason why I love this man and he's a dear friend of mine is not because of any of that. And in fact, he would not be the one to tell everyone that all that God has accomplished through his life. But what I would tell you, the reason why I love this man is, is that um, he was the youngest deacon chairperson at my former church. 103 year old uh, First Baptist Church, Fort Lauderdale became the youngest chairperson of our deacons because of the kind of heart that he has. He also was the youngest chairperson of a stewardship team for that same church. God has had his hand on this man's life um, because he is a humble servant of God. And I'm going to introduce him now because he's getting mad at me because I'm talking so much about him. Would you do me a favor and help welcome to our platform, Rob West. Rob, it's great to be able to have you here, and um, uh, I know our audience is tired of hearing me talk about finances, Uh, and uh, so I wanted to start things off because I know we have limited time today to be able to chat, and there's so much that I would love for you to be able to share with our church, Um, but I've known you for a long time, um, before children and when you and Julie just got married, and and we were kind of at the same age and, and walking through, and I watched God systematically place his hand on your life and develop a passion within you um, with regards to sharing with individuals um, financial wisdom. And can you share a little bit about why that is? Why are finances and the education of finance is so important to you? Yeah. Well, first, let me just say it's a real privilege to be here this morning. Uh, there's not a relationship that Julie and I cherish more than that of Terry and Jennifer and Uh, It's just a privilege to be able to join with you. We've watched from afar as uh, Terry and Jennifer moved here and as God has just had his hand on this fellowship and so excited to join you in person this morning. Uh, This is an area of passion. I've spent all of my professional life at the intersection of faith and finance, uh, starting 
uh, right out of college, uh, hosting a couple of radio programs on a call. Was, there were call-in shows on a biblical approach to money management, and then uh, running a, a faith-based uh, professional advisory firm, uh, serving wealthy Christian families. And what was really interesting to me, very quickly, is that I would have people calling into the radio show with twenty and thirty and forty and fifty thousand dollars worth of credit card debt. And then in the office, I'd be sitting across the table from uh, wealthy believers with millions, if not tens of millions of dollars. And what I found is that the bondage that they were under could be exactly the same. Mm. And what you quickly realize is that money issues are ultimately heart issues. It's the money is the great revealer of the heart. And that shouldn't be a surprise to us uh, because we see that throughout Scripture. And as Terry said, it's a topic that you'll find uh, through uh, God's Word, Old and New Testament. 2,300 passages, half the parables, 15% of everything Jesus said was on this topic of money. And so you have to stop when you realize that and say, why? Why would so much of it be on this topic of money? And I think uh, there's a few reasons that jump out to me. One is that the way we handle our resources really reveals what we value. Mm. So if you were to hand me your checkbook or if you don't use a checkbook anymore, print out your financial account online, I could tell you what's important to you, right? Uh, it's a very clear indicator of what we value. In fact, the late Larry Burkett, uh, who was a mentor of mine, uh, would say that money is the clearest indicator into what's going on in someone's life spiritually. Well, that's really fascinating. Now, this shouldn't be a surprise to us because of the words of Jesus himself, where he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so we realize very quickly that our heart follows our money. And so the question then that we have to ask ourselves is, what does how I'm allocating my money say about what I value? And then perhaps the next question is, Am I okay with that? Does that align with my values? Am I happy with the way, the story, if you will, that my allocation of resources tells what's important to me? I think the second thing that jumps out at me as I begin to think about why we see so much on this topic in Scripture is not only does it show what we value, but the way we allocate our resources really reveals where we placed our trust. If you think about it, uh, this is probably the chief competitor to lordship mm -hmm. in our lives. If there's something that's going to dethrone God from first position in our lives, my experience is that it's most often the pursuit of the things that money can buy. Yeah, and, you know, uh, we shared this last service, and, you know, I think a, a lot of us in church, we, we've heard me say before, um, there is a God-sized space in all of our life that only God can fill. But I want to take that even deeper, because here's the truth for even Christians. I, I think that's true for all of us, but I think for a lot of us, it's, all right, God, there's this God-sized space, and here's what I want to do. I want to invite you into this compartment of that space. So, God, when it comes to medical or health issues, isn't it true that we as Christians, we invite God into that space, don't we? In fact, even non-Christians, if you're not a believer in here, you invite God into that space. We need to pray. Yes, I need to pray. We need to pray that God directs doctor's hands. Yes, we need to pray. God, yes, come. I give everything. I give all this. In this moment, I give everything to you because it's that important to me. So we say, God, you're invited into the health care. We say, God, you're invited into my marriage. You're invited, you know, God, please, you know, would you bless my marriage? Would you bless my relationship? We invite God into all that. But I think for Christians, if you're not a Christian, pay really close attention. I think for Christians, Rob... 
Finances are one of those places where we actually look at God. And if you remember week one, I said, you know, we can either hold the rope to the giver or the gift, but we can't hold both. We have to let one of those go. And, and I think as Christians, we say, God, I trust you with everything. But when it comes to what's yours anyway, it all, your, all comes from you. I, I don't want you to come into this space. Because I'm afraid, God, of what you're going to tell me to do with it. I'm, I'm afraid you're going to tell me that I can't go to a Chicago Cubs game anymore. And, and God, I don't want that. I mean, that, I mean that, can you think of anything more worse than that? Um, and so we, we tell God, don't come into this space. But the truth is, it's all his. And when we allow our trust to really open our doors and open that space for heart, God can really do a lot through it. Well, that's exactly right. It reminds me of what Martin Luther said when he said there's three conversions, the mind, the heart, and then the purse or the wallet. And he was getting to the point that it's often the thing we hold on to the longest and the tightest. Uh, You may have seen the cartoon of the person going through the baptismal waters holding their wallet out of uh, the water to signify, Lord, you can have it all, but not this. And what we realize quickly is it's all his anyway. And so clearly I think that's a reality. And, you know, as we look at this issue of money perhaps dethroning God, you know, I think we see again throughout Scripture some of those warnings. Uh, The parable of the sower is a very stark illustration Mm -hmm. of that. You think about this story, you know it well, the seeds were cast upon different types of soil. Jesus told the seeds were God's word and the birds ate it up and the rocks choked it out and then one where the ground was just not deep enough and so it came up out of the ground but then it quickly died and then one where the weeds choked it out and then there in Mark 4, a few passages later when the disciples are asking Jesus, what was it that choked out the word? He explained, we can go there in Mark 4:18. it said still others like seed sown among the thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, there's the first reason, the deceitfulness of wealth, there's reason number two, and the desires for other things, reason number three, come in and choke out the word, Mm -hmm. making it unfruitful. Well, here's my takeaway from that. Two out of the three reasons Jesus said we're not going to experience a 30, 60, 100-fold return on God's word bearing fruit in our life have to do with finances. The cares for the, of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things. And so I think we have to be on our guard. In fact, we have to realize that we are, as Pastor Terry has said the last three weeks, not owners. We're stewards. We're managers. We're trustees. Psalm 24.1 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So we need to see ourselves in a proper light because that's a game changer. That literally changes everything when I see my role as a caretaker of God's resources. And then I'm asking the master, what would you have me to do so I can be found faithful in the management of his money? But the second thing that has to happen in addition to putting ourselves in the proper context is that we have to put our money in the proper context. And that is that of a tool. So money is not an end. It's a means to an end. Money can add meaning to your life. It's not the meaning of life. And when we see money as a tool to accomplish God's purposes, and we realize that ultimately where we're most satisfied is when it becomes a means to an end, and that end is something other than you and me, meaning we hold it loosely and give it generously, 
that's where we experience real joy. Yeah, that's really good. Um, uh, if you've been a part of our church, you know that we've walked through four di- or three different categories, and today the fourth, um, when it comes to our finances. We, we've talked about what it means to live a life of generosity. We've talked about what it means to give. We've talked about what it last week about debt and the power of debt in our lives. And, and uh, today we're going to go into a little bit more about what it means to grow. Um, but I, I want to go back to Rob in, in just a second, um, because you've heard me talk about those, but I think Rob can bring a, a, a great um, encompassing look at all of those categories before we set up the grow. So would you mind just speaking to everybody today and going over and catching individuals up of the live, the give, and the owe before we go to the grow? Yeah, I'd be happy to. As you're well aware, there's an unlimited number of ways we can allocate our resources, right? And sometimes it can be confusing, even overwhelming, just to know, am I doing all right? How how do I do this and what choices should I make? And yet we're all acutely aware, especially at the end of every month, that we have limited resources, right? Our resources are finite. And so to uh, simplify some of that confusion and distill it down, and by the way, God speaks, God's Word speaks to every one of these, we boil it down to four key areas. Pastor Terry's been teaching on it the last four weeks. It's the money we live on, it's the money we give, it's the money we owe, namely for debt and for taxes, and then it's the money we grow. That's our savings, what we're looking for uh, to put aside for short-term and long-term goals. Well, let's start with this live area. You know, what's interesting is that the live area, the lifestyle, if you will, is the obviously greatest expenditure we all have. Uh, it's the greatest barrier contentment. Mm. And my experience is that your lifestyle will be the thing that will derail your long-term financial success or your financial plans quicker than just about anything else. And what we also realize that, especially living here in America, is that there's a paradox of prosperity. It's this idea that the more you have, the more choices you have, and the less real freedom you have, or the more confusion there is. You know, when Julie and I lived in a one-bedroom apartment condo in uh, South Florida, uh, we didn't have the ability to go out to eat because we didn't have the money to do it, so we'd walk across the street to the beach and have a picnic. Life was really simple, right? (laughs) And uh, now you have kids, and you have all these, you have multiple cars, and you're trying to take care of all of your things, and life just gets more complicated. And so there's this paradox of prosperity, and I think one of the challenges is that the Bible doesn't define the appropriate lifestyle for a Christian. Mm. It'd be really helpful if you could open God's Word, and it says you're supposed to live on 68.2% of whatever comes in the door. It's not there. And so it requires us to be on our knees saying, Lord, what is that lifestyle that you've called us to? We don't necessarily take our cues from the culture. We take our cues from God to say, what would you have for me? And we know that at a minimum, we need to live within God's provision, right? Because this world allows us to live outside of God's provision, and we call that debt. Yeah, we, and we talked, um, I, I shared with our church the difference between a budget and a spending plan and how that came to be where we don't like budget has become such a negative connotation because what, what does budget mean? Budget means I can't spend. And so they've turned it and changed the title into, no, we're not going to call it a budget anymore. We're going to call it a spending plan. No, you can go ahead and spend, just have a plan for that spending. Exactly right. But it really is key because ultimately your ability to rein this area in and live according to whatever you feel like the lifestyle God has called you to is, is that spending plan. That's the plan that predefines where you're going to allocate your resources. I'd like to say you need to give every dollar a name Mm -hmm. because if you don't tell your money where to go, it will find somewhere to go. And the other trap that I've experienced in this area is that our level of spending 
will always rise to our level of income unless we protest to the contrary. Right. So as our income grows or we get a bonus or whatever it might be, it's interesting how we don't have to plan for it. Our level of spending will automatically just tick up with our level increase in income unless we say, no, we're going to define enough and stop there. And anything else that the Lord brings into our hands, we're going to decide intentionally how to allocate those resources. And so the spending plan is not limiting the spending plan actually is freeing because if you've started in prayer and if you're married, husband and wife, Lord, what are our goals? What have you called us to? What are we trying to accomplish? Then the spending plan is how you allocate the resources to accomplish those goals. And what you find very quickly is uh, that with a spending plan, that's, that's how you can do it. You can't do it apart from that. And uh, it will actually bring you as husband and wife together on the same page. All right, so that's live. What about give? Well, what we realize there is that giving breaks the power of money over our lives. Now, here's what I mean by that. Is there anything wrong with money or the accumulation of wealth? Absolutely not. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. It doesn't say money is the root of all evil. In fact, God created us to be productive. The, the building blocks of our economic system are found in God's Word. There's nothing wrong with wealth accumulation as long as it doesn't become the place we place our trust, right? So giving is the way, to the extent money has a grip over our lives, it's the way we loose that. It's holding everything loosely so God can take what he wants and we handle it freely. And we see this throughout Scripture that we should be givers. In fact, if you think about it, we were created in the image of God. Mm. He's the ultimate giver. He gave us his son, right? He gives us everything that we have. All good things come from him. And so we're most like him when we're giving. I like to say we're hardwired for giving by virtue of the fact that we were made in his image. And clearly we draw our cues from scripture. In fact, we could go to Second uh, Corinthians and see the Apostle Paul said, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And that's the picture that we should have. And we, and we share it as a church. And I, and I would say this, and, and Rob, I, I tell this to our church all the time, that if you can get this point, you can go to sleep during the rest of this interview and you can wake up later. Because if you get this, then you will be well on your way. Um, giving should never be done out of guilt. Giving should always be done because of the generosity that you have. Because you mentioned it, Rob, that we are made in the image of God and God was the ultimate giver. And he wants us to mirror his image, which is to be more like him. And when we are open-handed and when we say, God, direct my giving and where can I bless others? We look more and more like our heavenly father. And so we give out of generosity because there's also a sense of fulfillment when we do give because of joy, because, oh, it's great to be able to bless others. It's great to see God use me in an incredible way. So never give out of guilt, always live, give out of generosity. Yeah, it's such a great point. Uh, Just the last couple of thoughts on the area of giving, you know, Uh, One of my experiences is that we will never give to our maximum ability unless we have a plan for it. We literally have to have a plan for giving. And as you head into 2020, I would challenge you to think about your giving plan. What are you doing in the way of of tithing? And is it time to increase that a percentage point? Uh, Is there an opportunity to give uh, out out of your balance sheet? You know, 90% of our wealth is held in the form of non-cash assets, and yet 
90% of our giving is out of cash assets. So our greatest opportunity for giving is not out of our income, it's out of our balance sheet. And so thinking about what about that appreciated stock portfolio that I could give to the Lord right now or a piece of real estate or perhaps a portion of my business, whatever that might be. But here's the thing. As you experience the joy of giving, my experience is you'll start to reorder your finances so you can do even more. The third area is debt. And we, uh, we know about debt uh, owing. Um, the principle here is that debt mortgages the future. And it really changes the relationship. Uh, we see that in God's word very clearly when uh, Proverbs 22 tells us the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. There's a change in relationship there between debtor and lender. We see this clearly uh, in the area of cosigning. Uh, I think it's why the Bible is so clear that we should never do it because there's a change in relationship. In fact, the Federal Trade Commission tells us that 50% of the time somebody cosigns for another, that person is not going to pay. Well, there was a reason they needed somebody to co-sign in the first place. Well, here's what often happens, and I get this call all the time, is we want to help, right? We want to help a friend or a family member, and so we step in to co-sign. And the challenge is maybe because of circumstances that are not of their own, they're not able to fulfill that obligation. And what just happened relationally, we've got collateral damage now in this relationship, one to another friend or even worse, family member. And so I think we really need to be and, and I love, and I've heard Rob teach on this, and, and I want you to share with our church, because there are a lot of you that probably have fallen into this, but where you have co-signed for a son, a daughter, a family member, and you might be like, well, wait a second, you know, they're my daughter, they're, they're my son, you know, uh, why wouldn't I want to help them? And I love Rob's answer to that, because it's not a matter of, no, I don't want to help a friend or a family member. That's not it. It's just the way in which you do so is to affect the relationship. So Rob, what would be your advice to a family member of um, with regards to, all right, you, I can't co-sign for them, but what can I do to be able to help them? Well, one of two things. I would either go into it saying, I'm just going to make a gift, and it's a gift right on the front end, no obligation. The second would be, if you do co-sign, uh, you need to be ready, willing, and able to make it a gift, uh, because you ha or at the very least, step in and pay it off, right, which is, in a sense, making it a gift. And at the point you do that, you need to let that person know, you know what, I release you from this. And this is now a gift to you. Otherwise, you're going into it with the expectation that they're going to make good on it. And again, the fallout relationally is just not worth it. I think there's four questions we can ask ourselves to keep ourselves out of trouble as it relates uh, to uh, debt and taking on debt. Remember, borrowing is not a sin. There's clear warnings throughout Scripture about borrowing. We do see in Proverbs it says the wicked borrows and does not repay. And so we have to make an absolute commitment to repayment. But the borrowing the concept itself is not a sin. But I think these four questions will help. The first is, is the economic return greater than the economic gain? Mm -hmm. And so essentially what you're saying is that I would only borrow for assets that are appreciated, right? That would be your home or perhaps you run a business that needs to use debt uh, as a part of the function of your business. Uh, those are the types of things we would be borrowing for. Number two, am I presuming upon the future? Do I know how I'm going to repay this, or is this a presumption upon the future that may not work out as expected? Number three, am I denying God an opportunity to work? Mm. You know, I get the call all the time on the radio from people that, you know, all kinds of debt issues and lost a job and medical challenges, and many of them are not their own doing. It's just circumstances that they've been dealt with. And rather than laying the bills on the table and saying, Lord, you're my provider, this is your money. You see the situation. I'm going to trust you that you're going to provide. They rob God of that opportunity, and they use the plastic 
and run up a bunch of debt. And I realize that's a difficult spot, but I think that's a key question. And I know, Rob, you handle a lot of those phone calls. In the church world, a lot of times we get a lot of different benevolence requests. And and I would share one of the things that we do from a benevolence side is when an individual within the church or even within our community that is struggling, um, one of the aspects that we try to do is exactly what you said, is to come alongside and to be able to allow them to see where God can have a hand in helping them take a step and move them forward. Um, And here's what I find. Individuals who are open-handed, individuals who are saying, you know what, I need, I need help. I need God to come in. I, I not only need a gift, but I need the giver of the gift. Then we come alongside and we help them to, to put a spending plan together, to be able to really reorganize their finances, to be able to help them to take steps ahead. And here's what I find when individuals put the work in to say, you know what, I'm going to make a lifestyle change and I'm going to really, really look to the giver. I see them begin to take steps. And then when they tithe or when they give the joy that they have because now they are able to be a part of what God's doing because of what he's already done and showed up in their life, it's absolutely incredible. So the principles all tie back together. Yeah, they really do. Uh, The fourth question is just simply, do I have unity with my spouse? I would just say, draw a line in the sand. We don't borrow a dollar unless husband and wife are in complete agreement. And I think that's just a key principle here. Yeah. And Rob, um, I know that. So that is the live, the give and the O. And today uh, I want you to spend a little bit of time really unpacking this concept of grow, because I think that hits a lot of us in this area, whether you're um, even thinking about retirement. And, and here's the thing. I think when we say the word retirement, many of us that maybe are under the age of 35, we automatically think, oh, well, that, I don't have to think about that. That's, that's for when you get older. And here's the truth. I mean, there is nothing more false. Well, that's probably not true, but it is a very, very, a misleading concept that I shouldn't be thinking about the end of my life here. And you're going to share a phrase with us a little bit later about that. But why don't you share with our church some of the aspects of why it's important to grow and what does God have to say about that? Yeah, clearly. Uh, you know, this grow area is obviously our savings as we think about long-term and short-term goals. I think the principle here starts with the recognition that you need to plan for financial margin because the unexpected is always going to occur. At every stage of life, we're going to experience the unexpected and the ability we have to live within our means and have financial margin that can then be set aside uh, is critical. Uh, The other principle I think that's really important to understand, and we learn this throughout our lives, uh, it's not intuitive at the beginning as we're just getting started, but it's that the longer term the perspective that we have, the better the financial decision we're going to make today. And you would know that to be true. When we can lift our sights a little bit and look further out, we're going to make a better decision today. Uh, God's Word speaks to the idea of saving clearly. We see this modeled with Joseph. He saved in the times of plenty for the uh, famine. We see it in Proverbs. Uh, King Solomon told us there's precious treasure and oil in the dwelling of a wise person, but a foolish man consumes them. And so clearly we should be taking a portion of what God gives us today and setting it aside for the future. I love that concept where he said the, the longer term perspective, the better the financial decision. Um, you, know, you and I are Apple fans. We, we have iPhones and, and, uh, and you, you said it even earlier this morning, you know, when you walk into a Verizon store, an AT&T store and you're there, um, you might walk in and if you struggle with this, like sometimes we do uh, with impulse control, where when you 
walk in, all of a sudden a, a person comes up and a salesperson, their job is to get you to buy, whether it's a smart financial decision or not. And so they're going to tell you all the bells and the whistles and, and, oh, you have an iPhone 10. Well, hey, the iPhone 11 Pro, it has a better camera. And so you need to just dismiss this one in order to grab this one. And you're sitting there and here's what happens to us. We sit there and the person's spending time. And if you're like me, I go through this mental exercise. Well, gosh, you know, the person's doing such a great job of spending time with me. They're, they're sharing this and, and, you know, gosh, they're being so kind. And if I turn around and walk away and if I don't go ahead and buy it now, then, number, then I'm going to let this person down. Or, you know, the truth is I'm going to lose this deal because they're telling me it's this important. And so, oh, you go in with every intention of, you know, I'm just going to investigate. And then before you know it, you're walking out after spending $1,500 on phones, accessories. You didn't even know you needed a new car charger, but they threw that in anyway. And you're like, what did I just do? Um, and Rob says, take a step back. The longer term perspective, the, the ability you give yourself to say, wait a second, what is it going to look like when I walk out of this store? Do I really need this? You know what? I don't need this today. You know, it wasn't even in my, my spending plan today. I didn't even talk to my spouse about this. What is she going to say when I get home and I show her the bill? I need to step back and I need to make a wiser choice. No, that's exactly right. Apparently I need three cameras on my phone now. And one is, <laughs> is not going to cut it. Um, Yeah, and so we've got to lift our sights a bit. We've got to see the long-term perspective. Well, how does this work out practically? Well, we just say simply there's really three stages of our saving. We've got to start with emergency fund. Remember we said uh, the unexpected is going to occur. And so that looks like trying to set a goal of saving uh, three to six months expenses uh, in emergency savings. I'd put it in a separate account. I always think it's helpful to automate your savings as well. One of the new uh, things that we've seen come uh, into uh, the financial world as of late is something called FinTech, financial technology. And you might have seen all these different smartphone apps that will help you automate your savings, help you round up on every transaction. Whatever works for you, I think the key is to automate your savings to get that emergency reserve. But then once you do that, uh, you'll realize that ultimately saving money is about contentment with God's provision today. And our culture, again, will allow us to live outside of that uh, with something called debt. Uh, Beyond that, I think we begin to look at other ways we can grow our money, recognizing that as we mature financially, we'll see that it's about, as Pastor Terry just said, giving up today's desires for future rewards. And that's really key to this whole area of having margin uh, in our lives or savings. So we talk about um, the grow area, and the first step is to have that emergency fund. And and you heard me talk specifically about it a few weeks ago, um, but as Rob said, um, I think, and I I don't want to steal your thunder, but you shared with our first service about um, the average individual when something happens, the, the amount of money they're not prepared for. What is that? Yeah, so a new study that just came out a couple of weeks ago said the average American is not able to handle an unexpected expense of $400. So which just gives you a sense of where we're at in our culture in terms of uh, our readiness to handle the unexpected. And so we want to make sure that we have a, uh, an emergency fund. And so, Rob, after those of us in this room, we work toward it, we knock it out, we get an emergency fund set aside. What's the second aspect of the growth? I would start looking toward retirement savings. Now, let me set that aside for a second and just comment on retirement. You know, this is an area, again, where we don't, take our cues from the culture. You won't find the word retirement in the Bible apart from the Levitical priests who retired, and it was a completely different situation. This is a relatively modern idea that we've created, that there's this arbitrary date that has been selected for us where we need to cease all productive activity and live a life of leisure. 
And what I would just simply say is I don't think that's God's best for us. I think this is the season where we have the most wisdom and experience to contribute. There may come a day where we don't work anymore. Maybe we can't work anymore. But we don't retire from something. We retire to something. Uh, I don't believe that God's calling on our lives has an expiration date until we're with him in heaven. And so we need to be looking for, Lord, what would you have for me in that season of life? And financially, what is my financial finish line? And I would be answering that question much earlier than when you're preparing for retirement. Lord, how much do you want me to accumulate? It's not just the mindless accumulation of wealth. Uh, There's not good things to say about the rich fool who built bigger barns in the Bible. And so I think we need to be on our guard there. Yeah, absolutely. And as as we talk about um, what it means to begin to save for retirement, I love what you said about um, retirement is not biblical. And and I would say this within our church. I say it all the time. Um, The heroes of the faith to me are the ones that um, have our wiser generation that understand that they have an incredible place within the church and what they're challenge to do is to pour into the next generation. Because I know this, one of these days I'm going to leave this earth and my influence level is for a short period of time. And what am I doing with the influence that I have? And so if you're of the wiser generation, um, I challenge you within the body of Christ. You have so much to be able to give. You need to be looking for the opportunities to be able to pour in as opposed to I put in my time. It's now my time to just sit back and relax a little bit. Let's talk practically. We tell folks, start by setting a goal of putting 15% of your pay toward retirement. You may not be able to get there now, but you can certainly work up for that to that. And uh, at a very minimum, take advantage of any matching funds. That's free money that you have available from your uh, company-sponsored plan. Yeah. And then finally, the, the last area is goals. Yep, absolutely. And ultimately, what we want to do after we've got our emergency fund and we're systematically saving for retirement is we want to be looking toward the goals that God's given us. And those are going to change throughout our seasons of life. When you're just starting out, it might be as simple as I want to put money aside for a down payment on a house or our goal is to pay off uh, our student loans, which by the way, we just crossed one and a half trillion dollars owed on student loans. The average student's graduating $36,000 with student loan debt that they're starting out with. Well, that's a major hindrance for a young family just starting out. So that may be the goal. But whatever it is, I'd prayerfully consider that and then uh, purpose yourselves to really allocate your savings toward each of those. I want to be able to share this too. You see on the screen, save for goals. And I want to uh, share five things that um, I think Rob and I would both agree are, are important because he mentioned name every dollar. If you don't set goals for your resources, I promise you when you get to the end of the month and you say, wait a second, I thought I got a raise. Where did that money go? Your money will find places to go to. I mentioned pumpkin frothy things that we love every single morning. It'll find those things really, really quickly. So the first thing I would say is prayerfully set goals. What is it that you need? Not necessarily what you want, but what is it that you need? What is it that you, you want to basically ascend to with regards to your relationship with one another? Um, it, might be, it might be a vacation. Here's the thing. I think a lot of times they look at financial advisors and people come in and our job is to steal all your fun. No, it's not. God wants to honor and bless the desires of our heart. And so at times it might be, hey, you know what? We're going to go and set aside for an anniversary trip or we're going to set aside for a family vacation. If you put that goal down and you work all year long at setting that and prioritizing prioritizing and putting away for it, then you can have an incredible time and it can be God honoring. So prayerfully set goals, prioritize your goals, place a target and shoot for it. I can promise you, I have never hit a target that I never aimed towards. Does that make sense? And then pursue that goal. And then here's the thing that I love about it. Sometimes it's not about the destination, it's about the journey. 
And those of you that have walked the faith a long time, you know that. And it hurts, doesn't it? That you believe, you know what? I, I know this is where God's calling me. And you walk that, that journey. And all of a sudden the destination changes. And you look at God and say, God, why did this happen? I thought you were doing this. And then you wake up six months later and go, you know what? The destination changed. But God, I know why you walk me through that journey. It prepared me for this new destination. I had no idea that you were creating, but you took me on a journey and you grew me so much that now I'm prepared for an even better destination. So pivot if needed. You might be saving for something and then all of a sudden things change. Don't hold on to it and say, no, 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 no. God, no, 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 I'm sorry. I'm, I'm holding on. I set this goal. God might say, yeah, I had you do this because I knew that this medical event was going to happen. So now you have it. Yes, you might not be able to go on that vacation, but now I want you to take these resources and head towards and pivot if needed. So last one, but not least, obviously, is save for goals. Rob, anything that you would love to share? I know our time is, is out now, but anything else that you would want to share just from your heart that you've seen around the country of individuals that have, have been calling in, a word of wisdom that you would leave our, our audience with? Yeah. Well, I recognize in an audience this size, there's people that are hurting right now. They're struggling. Perhaps you've made some choices you wish you could change. Here's the bottom line. Uh, There's nothing we can't leave at the foot of the cross and ask Mm. the Lord to intervene miraculously. I would purpose yourself to recognize, God, you're the owner. I'm the manager. I want to be found faithful in managing your resources. That's all you can control. You can't control the economy. You can't control the stock market. You can't control the tax code. You can't control any of it. But you can control what God places in your hand. So we want to hold it loosely. We want to see it as a tool. We want to be in prayer with the Father, asking him, what would you have me to do so we can be found faithful and experience God's best that we see throughout Scripture as we get a healthy relationship with money. Rob, I'm going to ask you a favor. Um, thank you so much for coming and spending time with us. Um, and uh, I know that there's some individuals in here that have specific questions that maybe were not addressed in our conversation. Um, would you mind going out into the hallway, into our welcome area? And uh, if someone has, for in, remind you, um, if you have a 30-minute question, hold that, and, and I'll give you an email address, and I'll tell you where you can go. Um, I will tell you this. Uh, Rob does a uh, Money Wise podcast six days a week. And uh, every single day, it's about a 10-minute discussion on a topic that might be of interest and, and you'll be educated on. And then it's about 20 minutes of answering phone calls from people around the country that have situations just like us. I encourage you to subscribe to the podcast. It's really great. Um, he's doing some incredible things. So, so church, um, I'm going to ask him if he would go to that welcome area at the end of the service and to be able to answer some of your questions. Meet him, encourage him along the way. Um, I promise you, you'll be better off for meeting Rob because he's great. Church, would you do me a favor and would you thank Rob for all the time that he spent with us today? Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information about the ministries at Ocean View, or if you'd like to speak to someone directly, you can visit our website at www.ovbc.org. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.